Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, we went on a little bit of a summer vacation over the last month. Did you do anything fun? I had a birthday. Yeah? Uh, I did, yeah. I had a, went, had a nice birthday. Is that in Portland? Is that where you're in Portland? Yeah, yeah. The trip to Portland was my birthday trip, yeah. Uh, the voice you hear is is of my ever-trusty co-host, Jeremiah O'Shan. I uh, still haven't replaced you yet. Don't worry, you're uh, not going to do that. I'm... Yeah. Is that how you've ended up in most most positions in your life? Is that? Yeah, exactly. Nobody got around to replacing you. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um. What, what has happened since the last time our uh, dulcet tones have been in your ears? But um, in, at least, I mean, in the world and also in Sounders' world, just just seems like a lot of news happens all the time now. It does, all the time. Um, so the Sounders are... We had a transfer window close. Transfer window closed. Uh, a the, lot of games. They were not in second place, and then they were in second place. And then they weren't in second place again, and now they're in second place again. Actually, they're in third again. Third. Tied uh, for second. Tied for second. Technically. Sure. Well, technically third. Um, And then most recently, they uh, won Cascadia Cup in Portland, Oregon, against some team called the Timbers. Um, Which was not notable for any reasons other than that. Yeah, yeah. That's been beat to death on your other podcast, so. Well... I, mean, we I don't know. We didn't talk about the. Uh, it hadn't happened. It hadn't so. happened yet. <laughs> so if you want to get into it, I'm happy to talk um, about it. I mean, I think people that listen to this podcast probably know exactly what I think and what you think, given the coverage we've given it on Sound or Heart. So. Well, yeah, it's I'm, true. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not like sticking to sports or anything. I just kind of feel like that sort of thing's been. Oh me. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you if you're literally unaware of what we're seemingly beating around the bush is uh, about a month ago the Sounders played the Timbers in Seattle. You probably remember that game. Sound, uh, ECS Emerald City supporters and Timbers Army both flew Iron Front flags. Um, since then, MLS has decided to take a take a very hard stance on that specific symbol uh, for reasons that I I understand but don't understand at the same time. And um, that's led to, let's see, what's what's all happened in the last month? Uh, Far-right protesters showed up to an ECS March to the Match, punched somebody. Yes. Um, Some Sounders fans got removed from a game in L.A., for having that's right yeah uh, all anti-fascist always seattle an, or anti-racist things something that they MLS yeah and then mls said that it was just because uh they don't allow signs for road games even though ecs has all this documentation that yeah. talks about how what kinds of signs will be allowed um atlanta fans have been banned for a year and forced to take a 250 dollar fan conduct class that seemingly was just made up on the spot oh that's i mean i Uh, think that they i've seen like i don't know if you remember this back in 2016 maybe there was a situation where a sounders fan flipped off a a camera uh, in vancouver right vancouver and he had the same kind of thing happen where he had to yeah i guess i guess that class has existed yeah, just seemingly when it gets applied. It's, yeah, it's, it's strange. yeah. There's a lot of questions around all this stuff right now and that we don't have answers to, frankly, for this for this show. Yeah, and then the big the biggest event, I guess you could say, over the last month uh, about this sort of you know, Iron Front anti fascist thing was um, 33 minutes of of silence, both for Timbers Army and Emerald City supporters during the game on Friday night in Portland, which. Um, you know, I'll I'll add to that. Um, I watched the game again the other day on the television, on the television and I don't know how. Like you could t- like it was different. It was definitely different. And I think if you knew something was going on, and you should have known something was going on because they they kind of talked about it on the broadcast. Um, you would have noticed something different, but I don't think the like 
the level of difference between seeing it on TV and being like, oh yeah, something seems missing, and being there in person was pretty profound. Like being there in person, it was like something is there. This is like a different event. Like, and you knew you could tell very clearly. Like hear the players. You could hear the players. You could hear the ball. You could hear. Uh, I mean, random fans would say would yell out stuff, and there was a few Timbers fans that tried to get like cheers going, and um, and there would people would cheer plays, and they would like yeah. do their normal kind of like uh, reactionary type of things. It wasn't like it was a a church. Uh, uh, what do they call those service? <laughs> it wasn't like a. It wasn't like quite. It wasn't a library, but it was definitely not what you were accustomed to mm-hmm. seeing a Sounders game or a Timbers game, and certainly not. Uh, a game between the two of them. And then even more stark was when at 30, the 33rd or 34th minute, 33-0-0 in the, on the clock, like the eruption yeah. was was really something to kind of like experience. Yeah. Again, um, and again, I don't think that really came across on the TV either. Yeah. I would probably, if I'm going to put my some tinfoil on my head, I would say ES, ESPN probably did that on I mean, I thought about this, and I watching it, I didn't necessarily come away feeling like ESPN was doing it on purpose as much as ESPN was trying to make the broadcast seem like like they were just kind of doing their jobs. Their jobs, like it wasn't like they were purposely trying to amplify. Like they, I don't think they were trying to hide that there was a protest going on as much as they were. Like well, we'll let's make literal soccer game. Right, there's a little soccer game, and we're much more focused on trying to make this viewing experience as normal for the viewer. Like they definitely weren't playing along. Put it that way. Yeah, and I reached my conclusion based on how ESPN executives have handled other political. Yeah, I mean, but like John Champion especially mentioned the protest a couple times, and um, so it wasn't like they were sure. That and that's really the reason that I felt like there was not necessarily an attempt to hide it because it, they could have just like not mentioned it and that's how it would have been. But I, I did think, you know, I, I think whether or not you came away from that match, like believing that Timbers army and ECS were standing up for a virtuous cause. And I happen to think that their cause is, is just, but even I, I, I think that, I would hope that fans would come away at least appreciating that the protest that they engaged in was appropriate and um, and they went about it in a way that was respectful to the events. Like, they weren't doing anything that was actively disruptive and they weren't doing anything that was... And I think that they're doing something that's very much about, like, you want us to behave a certain way, you market us being loud and crazy... And you're going to crack down on us, so we're not going to give you the thing that you market. And I think that that was a perfectly justified thing to withhold. Um, You know, it wasn't... I I think it was in some ways more effective than walking out. I think it was... You know, and and I think that that's because what we come to expect from them. So I I would hope that people can at least respect the the way they went about it, even if they didn't necessarily support the cause that they were protesting. I would that's the case too i don't necessarily think that's the case but i'd like to think that's happening (laughs) no given the type of and this is again a very harsh generalization if i think there are some of our commenters that have disagreed with how ecs has handled this and they've articulated their position very well and i respect those but on a whole the type of person that's going to disagree with this protest isn't necessarily going to be as articulate no i uh I mean, and that's, that's it hasn't been quite frankly, uh, and that that's fine, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was kind of the same thing. Like uh, you probably wouldn't remember this, but back in 2010, ECS. I think this is the only time that ECS, other time that ECS had a formal in stadium pro protest, and it was a different kind of protest. They, they the, had the TIFO one where Rick rolled everybody. Yeah, I guess that was kind of a protest, but it was so poorly pulled off that no one even realized what was going on. Yep. Um, but. Back in 2010, the Sounders played three friendlies. All of them were in the season ticket patch. They played Boca, they played Celtic, and they played Chivas. And Chivas was the last one. And basically, at that point, ECS said, we've had enough. Yeah, We don't think that 
this is a thing that we want to be doing. So they gave all their tickets away to Boys and Girls Club of King County. And so there was always kids there, but there weren't ECS didn't show up. Yeah. And uh and a bunch of Sounders fans felt like they had been kind of abandoned and that Chivas fans kind of took over the stadium. Hmm. And I was surprised that the reaction was kind of like the same criticism of like, oh, you don't like it, so you took your ball and went home. And I feel like that's always the pro. That's always the criticism of protests. Of like, well, if you don't like it, then you're just gonna you're gonna protest as if protesting is not like a legitimate, yeah, activity. And um, and so I would say that I I I always tend to come down on the side of fans like standing up for themselves. I think is good. Yeah. And uh, and so in this case, I I thought it was good. I also thought the other big takeaway from this, and not to get too down this rabbit hole, but I was really like kind of proud, of, frankly, of Stephen Fry and the statements that he made after the game. Uh, he, he had originally come into this, and he was in the he was in the uh, the press scrum, and someone mentioned it to him, and he kind of started talking to it, but he didn't seem to want to get like yeah, too like out of the camera. Yeah, and he didn't. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't. I maybe that was a big part of it. He didn't want to do it in front of the camera, which is fair. And then afterwards, you and I actually hung out after, and, and he gave us a lot more about... Yeah, he sort he, of sought out the conversation. Yeah, right, he sought out the conversation, and he kind of articulated his position on on the whole um, situation really well. And I thought that it was really just kind of nice to hear a player have strong opinions about something. And, and he, I think, I mean, he, he seemed to support the protest specifically, but he also seemed to have an appreciation for the fans engaging in like yeah. a protest in general yeah I, yeah it's um if you haven't read uh the interview it's up on the site i think it's titled something like uh, stephen fry on anti-fascism on, on protest and a way forward or something um i can't remember the headline i wrote at midnight that night or whatever um but yeah i it it seemed like he was talking about probably three different things at once he was talking about the protest like the specific protest, protest writ large, right? And then this moment in history in this country, right. yeah. Uh, and it was in, it was interesting how all three, because they very much do, considering what the Iron Front flag and symbol and logo stands for, very much applies to more than just MLS. Whether or not, I mean, I disagree with this take, but. There are certain people who think it's Major League Soccer, it's teams in Seattle, it's teams in Portland. What's the, what are you really protesting? I don't think that necessarily Matt like. That's you don't have to clear some bar to protest, right? If, if you, you feel like it's a cause worth worth protesting, right? It's it's exactly, and I and I don't, you know, and I, and I guess uh, I don't quite understand, and we don't necessarily have to try to get put ourselves in the shoes of people who we don't entirely understand but i don't there seems to be this sense that ecs is not protesting like they're just doing this for attention or what i'm not exactly yeah, sure think- like they don't believe that they are standing up for like they're not really into the cause they are just kind of like into making virtue signaling or like- right virtue signaling. but it seems like a lot of work it seems a lot of work to go to just for the sake of like winning a few like internet points. Yeah, and I think the I think a problem that those type of people have is a problem that's existed in the Sounders fan base for a very long time, like you've mentioned. There there are a segment of Sounders fans that think ECS exists for them. Right. Or you know, right? Like they, like as a, as a part of the, like the they're thing. they're no more than they're they're on the same level as Soundwave or yeah or, or the March to the Match yeah, or like, it, like they're a, just an element of the game day experience that they appreciate, but they also don't really aren't interested in them as a yeah like ECS independent body isn't allowed to have autonomy, um, and even with in, in, I you know I think if we had ECS leaders here discussing with us i would be surprised if they didn't say that even within ecs there's disagreement about how to handle this but that they've come together especially with timbers army at the same time and a grill fc which has been uh they've been sort of 
I think, an unfortunate afterthought. Um, yeah. This conversation, right? Given there, <laughs> and they've and they've been yeah. on, you know, and they, and they have kind of been one of the driving forces, yeah. seemingly behind this. So that's that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but I think the to kind of round this up, and we can talk about the last month of soccer that we've dealt with. Um, I think the protest was effective um, in sort of regaining what the conversation should be about. Yeah, and and if nothing else, I think that the in some level the proof of that is in the coverage that it's received, yeah. which is far outside the normal soccer yeah. circles. Like the Washington Post, just off the top of my head, the Washington Post has had an article. The Hill wrote about it, which yeah. is like a very wonky sort of political politics blog yeah i think politico may have written about it too fox news wrote about it um so yeah i mean it's gotten a lot of it's gotten a lot of coverage that uh you would just not expect and i think more broadly speaking i i think one of the things that i came away from this whole thing and i had talked to a, a an mls spokesperson about this and one of the things i don't know that they entirely appreciate and maybe they just won't admit is how wrong they've gotten this. Not necessarily that their position is inherently wrong, but the way they enforced it, all it did was encourage more protesting. It definitely made it a way bigger deal. Right. Like they could have quietly just allowed the sim, the timbers and sounders to keep doing the thing. Like timbers have been doing this in 2017, uh, on like a big scale, but they'd been doing it on a much smaller scale. Like even at sounders games, it's been, the symbol has not been, has been like at Sounders games since 2009, um, and and Timbers Army has used it in some capacity, you know, virtually since their inception, and so they could have really easily just like let it go, yeah, and just kind of let it be a thing. And my suspicion is that you know maybe you'd see it pop up randomly at other places, but it would not have been this like flashpoint. And instead, they like somehow got it in their head they needed to like make a like make a stand on this issue. Mm-hmm. And I think it's backfired. Definitely. Yep. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think if, you know, the initial flag waving at um, CenturyLink on July 21st, if, you know, even like, even the whole sort of, I wouldn't say scuffle, but the, the situation with security asking them to remove it, like if they just sort of let that be that day, we're not talking about this right now. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I agree. But even if you go farther back than that, and it, and if they didn't have this whole flashpoint at the beginning of the year, because I don't know if you even remember this, but Timbers Army put out this release at yeah. the beginning of the season basically saying, like, we are really concerned about this political language that showed up in the yeah. fan code of conduct. I had actually reached out to someone at MLS to go on the record about this, and it was never – I kind of let it go because it didn't seem to be an issue. Until it was an issue. Until it was an issue. <laughs> yeah. And – um. And like there was this whole thing where Timber's army came out explaining why they were agreeing to basically put away the Iron Front flag, and they clearly weren't weren't happy about it. But like I guess what I'm saying is like you could probably could have got it off before it even had gotten to that point, which would have then like who knows if if Sounders would have ever even if ECS would have even flown this flag in the first place, and maybe they would have, and who cares? Yeah. Like I'm sorry, but like that's not. Like fans who say like I don't come to the game to see political statements, that's fine. I can appreciate that where they're coming from. I even if I disagree with them, I can appreciate where they're coming from. But that flag, who it seemingly most Sounders fans had no idea what it was, mm-hmm. like would have been it would have not bothered anyone for it to like for the most part like a, a f- maybe a few f- random fans who uh, frequent right wing websites and <laughs> are familiar with like the demonization of the symbol. Yeah, would have been able to pick up on it, but most fans, I don't think, knew much about it at all until this whole thing. Yeah, and it's just, it's very silly. It is, MLS yeah. Has, uh, done what they've done in the way that they've handled it, and will probably continue to be silly because I don't see sort of any indication that they're going to stop. Yeah, I mean, I will say my understanding is that no punishment has come from the incidents on Friday, and so maybe that's a sign. But who knows? I guess we're going to find out. Like, every week, I guess we're going to find out what the next step is, right? Yeah. And, like, I think um, even last night, we're recording on Wednesday. You're probably listening to this on Thursday. But 
Last night there was a U.S. Open Cup final in Atlanta between Atlanta and Minnesota United, and I think Atlanta fans have adopted that Bella Ciao. Yeah, um, which is a, a Italian Italian anti-fascist chant from World War II, um, made famous in MLS circles by Timbers Army with their green and gold, green and gold chant. Um, Atlanta has their own chant now. Right. Although <laughs> so. I'd like to, I like, I tend to think it really got famous um, from the Netflix program uh, Money Heist in English or okay. uh, Casa de Papel in Spanish, which is which it was like a big part of the first season of the show, which was what apparently one of the most popular shows on Netflix last year. Okay, and it was I like mean, a, this song, and anyway, I had never heard the song until I realized, like, oh, that's a song. That's the same tune that the, that one Timber song. Yeah, Timber's anyway. Army has been doing it like since like for like ten years. Yeah. yeah, at least since 2015. Yeah. Anyways, um, well, that is a good first segment on politics. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll come back and talk about the soccer. Um, maybe um, might talk about some fashion. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Thanks for bearing with us on that, because um, not everybody agrees with us, and we're the only two with a microphone. So uh, <laughs> that's just sort of how that goes. Um, yeah, we'll take a we'll take a break and we'll come back. Thank. Welcome back to the Sound at Heart podcast. Um, in this segment, we're gonna try to actually discuss soccer. And um, on Friday, August twenty third, which was last Friday. The Sounders defeated the Portland Timbers 2-1, to one, which was the same scoreline that the Portland Timbers had defeated the Sounders in Seattle. Very similar game, too, in some ways. Um, in I an opposite. In the Well, I think that I, the, the Timbers played the role <laughs> of the Sounders from the first... Like, Sure. The, I would say the Timbers controlled the game, but I think the Sounders created better chances than when the game was in Seattle. Well, I was thinking... That that same you could say the same thing about like the opposite. I guess it was the opposite. Sure, they changed roles. Yes, but where I disagree is the two goals that Portland scored in Seattle were much flukier than the two goals Seattle scored in Portland in terms of how the chances were created. Oh, maybe. And just sort of overall play. Anyways, um, so what that win meant for the Sounders is uh, they move into third place technically in the West and they retain the Cascadia Cup. Is that the first time they've retained it? Well, first time in the MLS era. They had it in 2006 and 2007 but this is the first time since uh, the competition moved to MLS that the Sounders had retained it. Which is cool. Um, First time they've won it in Portland, right? First time they've won it in Portland, maybe ever. Like I was not able to confirm that but I it might be the first time I've ever won it in Portland. Which was cool. It was a cool moment with um, with the trophy and the fans. You know, Brian Spencer moving the cameras out of the way and Nico getting the whole team together. It was very sweet. It was very nice. And the whole, like, really everyone, not just the... Yeah, the whole, like, like when every- I say the whole team, I meant, like, the entire staff. <laughs> right, yeah. It was kind of a cool little moment. Yeah. Um, which was cool. The, the chance uh, that's our cup in the background, which... Um, just a really simple chant, but I really like it. Yeah. Um, they now have, I believe, I think the Sounders now lead the all-time Cascadia Cup standing as well. Like, they've won it more times than anyone. They've certainly won it more times than anyone else in the MLS era. And I think that they now have, I think that's their sixth Cascadia tied. Cup. They're tied with Vancouver. Okay. Vancouver also has six. Okay. I know that. Okay. Uh, because in that video that you were in, they say that. Oh, well, there you go. That was Vancouver's little uh, claim to... Relevancy. In yeah. The... I mean, it, it is. But they... And I I feel like they may have won it twice when uh, the both years that the Sounders were not competing in it as a member of MLS. That's a funny technique. That's really that's really funny. Uh, that, that's very Vancouver, if that's true. Yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and decide to believe it and not look it up. Yeah. I'm really into that. Yeah, you should. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, although that would mean that they won it three times in a row, because I think Kes- I think Vancouver also won it in 2011. But anyway, I don't know if that was true. They did. At so now Empire I'm Field. now I'm questioning that. But anyway, I remember that. No, no, no. The Sounders won it in year one. Now that I remember it, because they won it 
at Empire Field. You're right. That was the I was at that game and Freddie Montero scored two goals. That was a cool stadium. It's kind of a cool stadium. It was on a rector. It was a. It's a. Uh, what do they call those? Module stadium. Yeah. Modular stadium. It was just cool. I liked it. It was a cool stadium. I thought it was cool too. Um. So this weekend on September, September first, right? They play in the Galaxy this I, Sunday. Sure. They play on Sunday. I don't know if that's September first or not. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> Labor Day is the next day, and that's the second, and I don't have to go to work, which is really nice. Um. <laughs> I had somewhere I was going with that, but the date threw me off and made well. That the real- last month has been quite a ride for the Sounders. Yes. I don't know if that's where you were going to go, but Basically, we talked about it in in uh, pre production. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> whatever pre production this podcast actually has. Uh, yes, the the discussion I would like to have is not necessarily so much about specifically the game, although I have thoughts on that, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, but. Just sort of the last month of the Sounders season has been very, has had some highs and has had some lows. Not a lot of highs, but yes, it has a, it had one big high for sure. Um, But I would say another big high is the team is in third place. (laughs) It is funny. That is, it is funny that given their struggles and it, and it's because it's tempting. I know there's this kind of this building narrative of like the up, they just had their collapse later in the season than they normally do it's the same kind of yeah. thing and in a way though it's it's been really like if this was the level of collapse that they'd had in previous years they would have been fine they would have like maybe contended for the supporter shield because the collapse has been actually really mitigated by being able to get results when they needed them yeah and virtually every week where you like you think they got to get a result in this one and this has happened a few times this year they've managed to do it yeah and they've had like it's been kind of a slow bleed in a lot of ways. This you know ever since uh, early June, I would say June maybe yeah early June probably. And it's been kind of a slow bleed where they they lose a couple games and then they kind of right the ship and they maybe they win a couple. Uh, but it's they when when you've just about ready to count them out and say like this team just isn't good anymore, they get a, a win like this, which I thought in a lot of ways was. Maybe not the most, you know, the best template for how you win games in general, but I think it showed that, I mean, they definitely stood toe to toe with the Timbers mm-hmm. in a big game in Portland. Media darlings. I mean, you know, season. like there are definitely people that will try to convince you that the Timbers are the second best team in the league, which is insane. Thirteenth in the West. I know, uh, and. Uh, and so, but I, I thought that the in, in a similar way, the Sounders also the last two games the Sounders have won is very just kind of like w- weird for lack of a better term. They beat Atlanta at home. They're the last team to beat Atlanta, the best team in the world to beat Atlanta, and they beat the Timbers. Who, granted, that was their second loss in a row at home. Wasn't the Houston win? I guess good point. They've won three last games three, in that time. Yeah. That's a good point. They've won three games in that time, but. Um, which is also weird. Which is also a weird. Houston. <laughs> right, which is a place they haven't historically won. But um, it's just been a very strange ride. And I think what I came away feeling is that what we've learned about this team is they have the talent to compete. Like, they do, yes. Their, their top-end players can kind of almost will them to win even when they're not playing well. Because I don't think you can make the argument that this team has played well like on a consistent basis for months. But they've managed to win enough games to stay very competitive and it would not at all be surprising at this point if they finish second in the west although i kind of wonder if finishing third might be in their to their benefit yeah yeah i mean i it's we're still what eight seven or eight games out depending on the team yeah i mean it's hard to like the matchups are are what they are i mean are going to be determined down the line so it's hard to say that they'd be finished second and third without knowing who the matchups are. But I think the the 2-3 spot is kind of their ideal spot because I think what the Sounders want to do is make sure to play LAFC as late in the process as possible because LAFC, to me, are the only team that are clearly superior to the Sounders in the West and maybe in the league. So I agree on that sort of situation in terms of the playoffs. Um, but I will, I, 
I know I just sort of made fun of them, but I also want to avoid Portland in the playoffs. I mean, I would like to avoid Portland too, just because I'm tired of, I, I, I could take a year off from that. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why I don't want to, I don't want to lose to Portland in the playoffs. I think we're a better team than Portland. I think Portland is better than you probably think they are based on the other podcast that yeah. you're on yeah. last week. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I, five hours on Friday. I know I've, I've come away <laughs> not, not being super impressed by what Portland puts out there, but um, I, I get it. I just don't really want to deal with them right. this season again because I think that, that it goes poorly if we have to deal with them in the playoffs. Although I suppose it would be a nice... I guess you always want the chance to exercise demons, but anyway. Yeah, but you also always want the chance to not have to exercise demons. <laughs> I agree. I mean, and like it's. I, I think it's similar to LAFC and not... Like, LAFC clearly the best team in the league and yet they've never beaten the Galaxy. They've given up a ton of goals to the Galaxy. And I actually heard some pundits suggesting that, oh, now, just by getting that tie coming back from 3-1 down, that they've somehow like gotten over the Galaxy. That's insane. That's an insane thing for me to say. They've never beaten this team. How can you ever go into a game thinking you're going to yeah. win a game? No matter what... like If LA and LAFC play in the playoffs... It's going to be at Bank of California Stadium. I think you're crazy if you don't think the Galaxy go into that game very confident that they can yeah. win. And they probably would just because this league's really weird and stuff like that happens. Yeah. But we have a Sounders podcast. So yeah, gonna, we don't need to get into that. Yeah. Um, just like I don't really want to talk about Portland, I have pretty much made uh, myself pretty clear on what I think about LAFC and how good I think they are and just kind of how they mess with my head um, on previous episodes. <laughs> so um, we've kind of touched on that the Sounders have gotten the results that they need in the games where maybe you didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, they happen to play the Galaxy this weekend after three weeks ago, two weeks ago. They played the Galaxy in Carson. Yeah. And going into that game was probably... At least in the, I was the lowest on the Sounders going into that game as I have been all year. Yeah, they were coming off an, a really ugly loss to RSL yeah. and a game where they seemed to quit at the end. And also the loss to Kansas City at home. That was had been two weeks before that. Yeah, but those yeah, two results sure. together, I think, kind of made me the low. Um, also, the... The tie against New yeah, England. Like, no, all the, three of those games were really... Bad. So heading into the LA Galaxy game, I would have absolutely taken a point, like one hundred percent. Like if you said Sounders are going to get a point in this this game, I would say I don't care how that happens. That's that is a good result. Yeah. Except what ended up happening in that game. Yeah. Is it kind of wasn't a good result. I mean, it was. <laughs> I guess it's funny because you look at it and it's a four point week with games at Carson and Portland. Those are good. Like th- I think any season, That's in five days, like in five days span. If you can tell me you can get four points from those games, you're over the moon. Yeah. No questions asked. Whatever. That said, you're right. I think the way they got those points in LA was not was very discouraging. Yeah. N- not only did they play up a man for effectively ninety minutes with stoppage with stoppage time, time yeah. but they also needed an own goal to tie. Now I think that they did enough to generate the chances. I think they drew the red card you know they forced LA into getting a red card I think you could say they forced the own goal that said they didn't score it on their own and they it felt like a huge blown opportunity to really put some space between them and the galaxy I suppose you could argue that they now have that chance on Sunday to do it and and the and the way that the galaxy scored their goals what so the galaxy can only score goals with Zlatan. Apparently. He has like t- is it 21 goals now? Yes, yeah, I think 21. After, yeah, after the it may, might actually be 22 cuz he scored two. Yeah. Anyways, uh the next person with the next leading goal scorer has like four. I thought it was three. It might be three. But uh, they they don't have anyone that scores goals other than I mean Pavone looked good against LAFC. You, yeah, he scored yeah, he scored against LAFC and assisted the other one, uh, or one of Zlatan's goals, um, the first goal, the one that happened in like the second minute. Um, 
So the Sounders like really sort of played into the Galaxy's hand in that game. I thought that might have been Kim Key's worst game as a Sounder. Yeah. Um, because he's just not he's not a physical center back. He's not going to be able to mark Zlatan like that. The penalty was really poor. Um, you know, he kind of turned into a meme on the on the first Zlatan goal. I still don't know how this team solves the Zlatan problem, and that's why I'm really worried. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't think that there's an easy answer either. You know, especially with Kelvin Leardam out, I think that's one other kind of physical defender that they're they're losing. I thought Abdul Salam potentially matches up okay. Is another big body that Sounders can kind of put out there, but I I think that his defending on the wing is probably not as effective as Leardam's, and so and really be on Pavone's side, right? And so it's not. And, and really the key to stopping Zlatan is not to body him up once he's got the ball because you're going to lose that battle more making times. Sure he doesn't get the it's, ball. Exactly. It's making sure he doesn't get the ball. And it's and and so the Sounders are going to have to figure out how to more effectively close down those crosses and deny service. Which they don't do a very good job of which, which, against anybody. No, they don't. <laughs> and especially against Zlatan in that game, they, they didn't do a particularly good job. Uh, you know, I thought that, you know, maybe there's some, some they can take something out of the Portland game, and that the that Galaxy seem to be their most effective when they get out on the counter, even though they don't have necessarily a fast team. They, yeah, you know, they just torched Elliot. All three other goals, I think, came on on transition moments. Yeah, and 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 the centers did a really really good job of denying those kinds of opportunities to the yeah, I think, timbers i think a big uh a big key factor in stopping transition and uh you wrote about this in your post game pontifications is gustav svensson yeah um who played in the la game but he came out in like the 65th minute yeah. or 70th minute and just what like just wasn't really a factor it was his first game back also yeah um and keeping and i think the reason part of the reason why he was so effective against portland is because he was playing against playing next to jordy delem who i think had a very underrated performance in portland but we're not talking about portland anymore i don't i don't know like i would be okay with seeing the same exact lineup aside from you know weird suspension um Maybe Brad Smith starts again. Um, Instead, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, c- coming back right. to the injury. That's what I meant. But um, the things that LA do well is what Seattle has had a problem with this season. Um, Seattle doesn't press very well. Um, a, a team pressing the Galaxy theoretically could stop the service to Zlatan. And they did a really bad job of that in the first meeting against yeah. the Galaxy. And like, not only did they not press well, they just sort of let Jonathan Dos Santos just have the ball. <laughs> yeah. Which um, he is a flawed player. He's having a very good season. Um, he's not, you know, six million dollars worth of a DP like um, his contract is. But you can't let somebody like Jonathan Dos Santos sit on the ball and cross it back post. No, because he's going to kill yeah, you. Because, or Zlatan's going to score a brace. I am, and I, we talked about this, I think, the show previous to last when we were talking about what sort of DP we would sign. I would be interested in Roald on the wing again, um, because I think he gives you that defensive effort that uh, neither Harry Ship or um, Jovan Jones, and I'm not even considering Victor Rodriguez as an option. So, Yeah, I would say we can't really consider it as an option until we actually see him play. Or train. Train might be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of, okay, what do you think is going to happen? Like, talk to me about the lineup that you want to see against L.A., this weekend, talk to me how you think the game's going to go. Well, in, in my column, I kind of talked myself into liking the idea of them lining up in a diamond. I don't necessarily think I feel that way anymore. I think one of the problems with the diamond is that it probably is 
really um, susceptible to the counter, and I and I don't know that they have really a great second shuttler. Like I suppose you could play Sacchini and Roldan. I mean, that's about as good as anybody in the league. I don't think. Well, I was. Plays in a diamond. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I. Yeah, and maybe that is. Maybe they they could get away with that. I. I I, either way, I think the personnel I want to see, regardless of how they line up, is Rui Diaz as the forward, Morris, Ladero, Roldan. I think this is probably a good game for Sacchini to, to get his first start. He, we didn't see a ton of him against Portland. I was He had some encouraging moments. He had some discouraging moments. I think mainly it was a, weird it was a hard, weird situation. He was kind of asked in there to just kind of run around and be high energy, and he, he actually nearly scored a goal. He also uh, had a couple turnovers that yeah. could have been really uh, unfortunate and playing in a position that it doesn't seem like he can play the I don't, quote unquote 10 yeah i don't know like exactly a, what position he was even asked to play in that in game. the middle right exactly <laughs> it was like be in the middle of the field and run around um but smith and Saad abdul salam i i think i've kind of settled into like you kind of just have to roll the dice with and then svensson and yeah. uh and kim kihi and uh and Ariaga, who I don't love that pairing from a you know holistic standpoint, but I I do feel like those are easily the two best center backs that they have, and you kind of have to especially if uh, Abdul Salam starting at right back, like, especially if uh, Abdul Salam is starting at right back, and it, like and especially if Svensson needs to be needs to be playing in the I midfield. I don't think they think Svensson's a center back anymore. I I mean I don't think he is, and I think yeah. that I'm still like for all the the criticisms that key he has endured or which i think are fair he he just is not the same player without a chad marshall next to him i don't think anybody is <laughs> i don't think anybody is i would agree with you there but the answer is not gonna bring svensson who is really he's a different player than key but he's not a better i don't think he's a better defensive player he's not a yeah. more physical defender his his you know what you gain with svensson back there is like some distribution but ariaga frankly is actually Probably that's the best part of his game. I think if we were playing a team like Columbus or a team like the Rapids. Where you think you're going to have a ton of the ball. Yeah, I would be okay with throwing Svensson back there. But in a, like, in a game where you're going up against probably the biggest individual threat in the league, um, you got to play your best defenders back there. Yeah. And... I mean, maybe Kim Key isn't up to the the task because he certainly wasn't in the reverse fixture. But you got it, like, and you're not gonna, but you're and you you're not a you're not gonna man mark Zlatan anyway. That's not the Sounders don't really do that. I don't think they could. Like, they, what what you would have to sacrifice is you're not and what you're gonna gain. You're not gonna. It's not a worthwhile no thing. So, I think we sort of agree on on the personnel that's gonna be out there. And to that point, with seven or eight games left in the season, and if the Sounders are as good as they say they are, because they say they are good, um, I think we say they're probably pretty good. If you're making these weird lineup things with seven games to go at home, like, I don't think that necessarily puts the confidence into the players and the fans that you right. need at this, sta- at this stage of the season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that we're probably going to, my suspicion is we're going to s- keep seeing the 4-2-3-1. You know, we saw it, the diamond briefly against New England. They actually look really dangerous going forward when they're in that formation. But I think that's probably how we'll see the diamond going forward is like it's deployed as needed. Yeah, and they, they kind of switched to it uh, against Portland for the end of the first half. But it was it was more of a kind of a bucket 442 and then diamond um with um with Ladero being out there on the right. But I mean the, the most encouraging thing I think that we've seen over this last month and it was highlighted most in the Portland game, but Jordan Morris has really developed into a really good winger and I think especially on the left side. Yeah, especially on the left side and I think that with Rodriguez out especially it just makes it a natural fit. Yeah. And because all along the the Sounders thinking was like, well, let's put him on the right. He doesn't need to be on the ball. On the ball. He doesn't need to be like goal, being goal dangerous is not necessarily his prime directive. He you know he can do a little bit of distributing. He can 
use his right, he can cross with his right, and do all this kind of stuff. But what we're seeing is like, A, his left foot has gotten really good. Like We can kill the meme. We can kill the meme. I mean, almost, I want to say, you know, most, if not all of his assists are with his left foot. He puts in a really, he puts in a really quality cross with his left. He's not scoring a lot with his left necessarily, but he's coming in on the left and he's, most of the shooting is going to be on his right foot anyway. And, and so he's developed into like a really, really good left winger. And so that I think allows the Sunners to keep playing this four, two, three, one. And, you know, if you want him up top next to Rui Diaz, sometimes you can still do that. And the nice thing about a four, two, three, one is you can adjust it to do that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think Jordan Morris on the left, uh, I've always, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but he was particularly effective there in 2016 during that run with Nelson Valdez basically being the guy to get him the ball <laughs> yeah. the entire time, um, which was nice to have. Um, but I... I agreed with a lot of people towards the end of 2016 and into 2017 before um, he kind of had his up and down season that he was always going to be a forward. But I like his attributes are like really helpful on the wing for the Sounders. Yeah. Particularly with him. They don't really have somebody to hold the ball up. Uh, Rui Diaz can do that. But what Jordan Morris can do is he can get the ball and take on a man and get get the ball 15, 20 yards further up the pitch in an instant. And that, I think, you saw against Portland, really allowed the offense to be more settled. Because I think during during the month or two rough patch that the Sounders were, were having, one of the biggest issues that Brian Spencer highlighted was sloppy giveaways in possession, particularly with Nico Ladero, which, you know, you don't want to call out your best player like that, but, you know, they would give the ball away just just over the center line and teams would be on their goal like that. But with Jordan Morris, even if, you know, it doesn't necessarily result in him getting, you know, the ball into the box or whatever, he can get up the field quickly and allow the offense to get set. And um, that's kind of something that, the galaxy do struggle with um we saw it we saw it a little bit in the in the in the previous game uh, against the sounders but they were obviously with 10 men so that's kind of a whole different thing but um i would like to see jordan morris early and often in this game because the two goals that the were the the one goal that the sounders scored against the galaxy was with jordan morris getting on the ball and behind the defense. So, Yeah. Yeah, I it, it was that it, Morris looked really good against the Galaxy. I guess that was the other thinking, my other thinking of why they might want to just put him up at up top against the Galaxy because he was so effective getting behind their defense. But I think you're right. You can you can still do that from the wing and uh you know, I I think if the Sounders can win this game, all of a sudden I think you look at the rest of the season as pretty manageable. Like they've got some tough games, San I think. Jose away, DC away, that game against the the Rapids is still hard. Tri- tri- tricky. Yeah, though it's going to be a tricky game. I'm trying to think. Who, do we know? Who, do you know offhand who the rest of their home games? Are? It's Minnesota, San Jose, L.A., and then who's the the last one? The last one is Minnesota. Right, but who is the other team that they're playing? Who do they play next? Mm-hmm. I guess it's great radio right here. Um. But anyway, the, the, it'll. I think the Sounders have a manageable path to get a decent seeding in this in this postseason. If especially if they can win this game, they don't win this game. Who knows? Uh, you know, things can always. Red Bulls and Dallas. Red Bulls and Dallas. Home. Okay. Yeah. So some some it's it's certainly not an easy path to the. It's not. Uh, there's some tricky games ahead, and I would feel a lot better with three points against the galaxy i mean i do think all the rest of the home games are pretty pretty close to must win oh yeah you have to especially if you want it depending on where you want it i mean like not to get into the playoffs necessarily but yeah. certainly to have anything like you want to have that like a draw would feel like a dud a little bit 
against the galaxy, especially considering the sort of the emotional high. You know, like you could, the relief was was palpable, like in the locker room against Portland, especially yeah. in Brian Spencer's post game. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Um, he kind of laid that on pretty yeah so and sort of his positioning from you know sort of my take is you know this team will perform a lot better now that the this sort of weight is off their shoulders right i understand he's a soccer coach and you know you kind of have to construct certain things to motivate your players so i hope that whatever they're constructing in the locker room is is true, and you know they do play with a freedom against the galaxy because you don't want to be slow against them because um, they've got this slot tongue guy that can be real dangerous. So has he played in Seattle? He's played one no. game. No, no, never played here. in Seattle. Uh, was he still with Barcelona when they came? And no, I don't think so. I think that was the summer he left. Um. Well, so, that, so that should be interesting. Um, maybe something I'll do this week is look into his games on turf and stuff because I tend to do stuff like that with the scouting report. So yeah, did he have a good game in Vancouver? Mm, that was the game where he came away really upset at the refs. Um, Alan but Chapman. That was the first time he got upset with Alan Chapman. Not the first, like it's, it's well, it was probably early in the season. It may have been the first. I mean, this is like but the, that was also the game where where Vancouver was. Uh, Vancouver fans uh, were like celebrating him. I mean, that happens wherever he goes. That happens with the Red Bulls. That yeah, it's weird. It's weird. How many Zlatan jerseys do you think we'll see in the crowd? Not very many. This is his first game. I'm I'm going as a fan. Yeah, for the first time in. Two, at least two seasons. Nice. Which is interesting. Should be fun. That will be fun. Um, yeah. Thanks. Nice for the tickets. Oh, yeah, you're going on my... <laughs> those are my tickets you're using, aren't they? Uh, yeah, so that's about it, unless you have anything else I I got nothing say. else, no. Um, we'll do our best to make sure that it's not a month until the next one of these episodes. But no guarantees, because... This is a labor of love for the most part. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's that's it. That's yeah, the end, end on a high note. Yeah, that's the end of this show. Uh, go, go Sounders. <laughs>